Welcome, all you Theo Not Heads, <laughs> to episode 10. We made it to the 10th episode. Yes, it. we are. This is a Depisode. No, Decisode. Decisode. Wow. That's good. So, Theo Not Heads, is that what you just said? <laughs> I did say that. You come up with a new one every time. I love it. <laughs> so welcome. I am David Gaddy. And I'm Jeremiah Orr. Together we are the, the Theonauts. <laughs> Still around after yeah. 10 episodes. Holding in there. So, wow. Okay, so did did you get any major backlash from our uh, our last week's podcast? No, I didn't. Really? No. no I, I, I didn't really either. I expected there to be a... A, a huge... Yeah. Well, I guess people want unity. Amen. <laughs> That's a good thing. So how's your week been going? Oh, man, it's been going great. Uh, really actually slow and then kind of frustrating my wife's in Reno, Nevada. So uh, there's so, that. Yeah. So I've been batching it. Yeah, doing the whole bachelor pad. That's right, man. Uh, frozen pizzas and... Uh, House and, of the uh, corn dogs. I just I did the dishes for the first time this week today. For the oh the first time this week. First time this week. Oh, I thought you meant for the first time ever. No, no. Well, <laughs> man, I tell you, I uh, it definitely made me realize how uh, precious a wife is. So I told I had a couple guys, uh, youth guys, staying staying the night with me and hanging out, and uh, I told them in the morning, find a good wife that can do dishes, because you're going to miss it <laughs> if you don't. So That's anyways. awesome. Yeah. Oh. So Well, okay, more ragamuffin news. We yeah. saw, well, first off, we have a Bible study here at this little coffee shop right? Uh, every week, and we decided to do a somewhat illegal viewing, I guess, because you're not supposed to show them. <laughs> So, nobody tell Greenlight Pictures. I'm pretty sure Greenlight would be like, hey, thanks for doing that. So, but yeah, we, we showed that to our study group, and we're going to spend the next couple of weeks, yeah. you know, diving into the issues and, and uh, all that good stuff. So, yeah, awesome. And then there's they're having a retreat of sorts. Yeah, they're doing it at three different locations, and one of them is actually in Texas. So uh, I sent David the link last week because I was really excited about that. It's like a it's like a weekend retreat, you know. In the movie, Rich takes a retreat with uh, Brennan Manning, right? And uh, it's really when he has a lot of a breakthrough with uh, his whole daddy issues. Yeah, and uh, and so um, they they're sponsoring a retreat kind of like that, you know, a solitude, a ragamuffin retreat to study and learn and. And so, uh, that, you know, that seems kind of fun. I think it's like 260 bucks or something like that. Right. But it's looks like it's, it's totally But it's not until it. late fall, right? Yeah, something okay. like that. That's cool. So, you know, 
We might need to go on a ragamuffin retreat. <laughs> record a live Theo knots from ragamuffin retreat. Oh we'll yeah, that they... would be cool. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be awesome. <laughs> Anyways, I thought I'd. Oh, I might also mention this. I, I mentioned that we had the Bible study in our coffee shop. Right. So, just in case you guys have ever been wondering, like we've made it ten episodes here, and every now and then you hear some weird stuff going on. <laughs> some. <laughs> You hear this espresso being made or whatever in the background, or the ding of the door. Yeah. Uh, we are above a coffee shop, yeah. <laughs> so that's that's why you hear a lot of this ambient noise. Yeah, it gives it, I think, a good ambiance. Yeah, kind of like you know, a, a sophisticated. Yeah, it's kind of like you know, you can picture us sitting in our in our armchairs, leather armchairs, right. in our robes, smoking our pipes, smoking pipes. <laughs> Using dropping our H's in all the words. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Kind of a big deal. Yeah, because we are very <laughs> theological. That's on right. This, on That's this right. podcast, I had a kid. By the way, speaking of theology, he uh, he's going to apply in for classes at Baylor, and he sent me a text message. He's like, "Dude, I'm taking." Theology according to C.S. Lewis this semester. There's a like, class for that? Yeah, there's a class <laughs> for that. And I'm like, awesome, do it. Wow. <laughs> so he's, he's really excited about that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, at Baylor, can you believe it? Wow. Wow, pretty cool. cool. So you got some news for us? Hey man, I do. I got some interesting news. And now, the news. Up first... Um, it's kind of a really interesting article. An ex-Muslim is suing his church in Oklahoma uh, for celebrating his baptism. Oh, I saw something about that. Yeah, did you did you hear about this? Uh, yeah. Basically, what happened is he uh, he converted to Christianity here in Oklahoma, and um, but he makes a yearly trip back to his homeland in Jordan, and uh, he didn't want uh, his baptism he publicized in fact he made them sign a release thing saying that they wouldn't make it public because or outside of his church because he didn't want to be you know beaten or persecuted back home if they anybody found out about it right they would beat him and so anyways what happened is uh i imagine you know working in a church i can totally see what happened like a church secretary made a you know a big goofball bulletin or whatever exactly and put it put it online that he he and some other people were even baptized at such and such time. Well, they found out about it. They they saw it online, and uh, when he went back to um, Jordan, he alleges uh, that the announcement caused disastrous consequences on his trip back home, actually to Syria, where he was tortured and almost executed by Muslim extremists. Wow. So, can you imagine that? And so he's seeking $75,000 from the church for punitive damages and uh, discouraging other churches from announcing Christian conversions. So he's trying to make a point more than a buck. That's right. right. He's really, you know, and I can can totally get what he's going at. You know, it, it needs to be very, not taken lightly when somebody converts from a background like that into, you know. Right. And it, well, it also brings up another thing. And this is something that I think is definitely on that church is there's we have this religious pride thing that mm-hmm. we are constantly dealing with I and mean, we fight it all the time. I mean that's that's part of why we don't have unity is because of this religious pride stuff. Right. 
And so what does that do? Hey, we converted a Muslim. <laughs> Look you know? at us. Look Whoa, at us. We, yeah, Our and, church and, is doing great things. Right. And so instead of keeping this like, you know, between God and them and the man. Right. It was like, I don't know. It, it, maybe it been as just as simple as a, as overlooking it. Yeah. You know, and it went out into a, a weekly. Um, That's what they're news, saying happened. But, but I just, I don't know. There's this little thing in the back of my mind that says, because I know how people in my church would probably react. Yeah. It, it would be like, oh, wow, how look at what we did. Yeah, you know what I mean? There'd be all kinds of excitement about it. Right. And where you'd want to, like, tell everybody. Right. And uh, it, there just needs to be <clears> some um, uh, discretion on how to handle things like that. It's just sad that, that that had to happen to that guy. I feel sorry for him. So. Anyways, all right, so my next story is actually a really sad one, and hits kind of close to home in a lot of ways. Um, the whole, uh, 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 as I lay dying front man story, Tim uh, Lembesis yes, and, yes. and his whole... So bummed about that. Yeah, me too. So <laughs> for those of you who don't know, Tim Lembesis is a front man for a band called, a Christian band called, for as I lay dying. And um, he basically uh, ended up hiring a hitman to kill his wife. Um, he'd been cheating on her and, um, and just kind of went down a pretty dark road of, of drugs. And, and one of them was uh, he was on steroids and some other right. things. And so anyways, he just got convicted. And I think he has seven years. Yeah, six or seven years. Six or seven years <clears throat> in prison. And so he had an interview with... Uh, uh, some people and basically said, you know, I, I, uh, fell away from my belief in Jesus a while back, but I was, uh, still being the front man so I could make money. And he said in another interview, basically one out of the 10 Christian bands that they toured with, you know, uh, were about in the same boat that he was, that he wasn't a believer and they weren't either, but they were making money off of these Christians right. in the Christian circle, the the whole Christian music industry realm. Um, and then he was frustrated that his uh, bandmates didn't speak up and tell him that he was heading down the wrong path and, and all this. And so uh, Nick Hippa, uh, the ex-lead guitarist for As I Lay Dying, actually responded back uh, to that. Have you heard about that no, yet? No, Basically, he said, um, he basically said, interview. I'll just read this. In an interview published in The Weaklings on Monday, however, ex-As I Lay Dying guitarist Nick Hippa said they had watched Lambesis self-destructing and had warned him about it for years. Clearly, he, Lambesis, needs a lot of time to work on the same things, uh, work on some things, and we had tried our hardest for years to pull him aside and get him to see things the way they were and not actually the way he thought they should be, and it just didn't work, to the point where we felt like our voices were falling on deaf ears. Mm. So basically, they had been trying to, you know, trying to convince uh, so, that he was going yeah, so they're, away, but... they're... They're kind of denying his accusation, right? That they weren't being good enough friends, exactly. And not only that, but yeah, during the during the uh, prosecution, during the court, uh, the entire band actually stood with his wife. 
right. and said, you know, this is really his fault. What he's been doing has been self-destructing. He's, you know, and he's he's the one that he hired this. It's it's just a whole sad situation because you know you look at you look up to these people and you put them on pedestals. And you don't which realize, we shouldn't anyway. Exactly, but. we shouldn't, but we do. And then you realize that you know what they. They have the same issue, the same problem as we do. It's the same mm-hmm. thing we do with pastors, like Bill Gothard. I don't know if you've heard anything about him, but he's the guy. Uh, he started the Basic Principles uh, teaching. He's really indie fundy, uh, pretty famous in the indie fundy circles. But <laughs> he recently uh, got had to resign and got looked at for being inappropriate with teenage girls. Um, and it, they found out that he hadn't done anything illegal, but, you know, the kind of stuff that he was doing was kind of hinting at, right? you know, being illegal. So he was right on the border there. And we put these guys on pedestals thinking <clears> that they're, <throat> they're something, and right. they end up being that, that and crushes us. And, you know, the, the thing is, people are broken. I mean, just in general. Mm-hmm. Christians are broken. I mean, we're, we're all broken. We all need grace. We all need, need uh, mercy. That's right. And, um, you know, I think that, you know, I don't know where Tim Lambesis' heart is right now. It sounds like it's not in a good place. Right. Um, but the thing is, you know, if you're if you're moved by the lyrics and those type of and, and the I know, like for example, that particular band has some lyrics that are very uplifting. I mean, they're very, you know, encouraging. Right. So you know, sure, the the people may be broken, but still use. That doesn't damage the the uplifting nature of the what content, of what you right. can get from from uh, what they were trying to say from the stage. Exactly. So uh, you know, let's not let's not put them in the the that big hypocrite category and then say uh, you know I'm done with that. I'm guy. done with everybody. Yeah. You know that that does that sort of thing. It's like you know I love Rich Mullins says you know it's it's one thing to be used by God. God can use whoever he he wants god used judas iscariot Mm -hmm. god used pontius pilate it's another thing to be wanted by god he goes you know i'd rather be wanted by god than to be used by god and that's a truth to me that's such a truth god can use anything Mm -hmm. to spread his his message and we shouldn't you know we shouldn't be so quick to just shut it off right so anyways um Enough of that negative stuff. Let's let's talk some positive. Did you know that in 2025 we're gonna have a new council of Nicaea? <laughs> <laughs> what? No joke. The po- <laughs> I'm not even playing. The Pope and some archbishops are discussing a thousand years later. If, yeah, discussing <laughs> that on the thousand year anniversary. Of the Council of Nicaea that we should have a second one to decide what's canonical and what's not again. Get out. I'm not even That's not what the Council of Nicaea was about. I know. Anyway. I know. I know. But that's what, okay. Everyone's been listening to Dan Brown's Da Vinci Code junk. It's not, it was not there to define canon. Okay, we'll continue. All right, all right. So I'll just read you the blurb. Uh, Obviously, uh, David has some strong feelings on this. Let me read read the blurb here. Uh, In 325 AD, Christianity took one of the bigger steps toward becoming a major faith in the ancient Mediterranean. 
Under new sponsorship of, by the Roman Emperor Constantine, hundreds of bishops gathered in Nicaea in Asia Minor for what we, is now understood as the first ecumenical council of emergent Christianity. At the council, the bishops composed and promoted the Nicene Creed, a statement of belief which, although at first rejected by many and perhaps most churches, eventually became the standard for Christianity up until recent times. Now, early this month, from a meeting of Pope Francis's recent meeting with Orthodox uh, Patriarch Bartholomew, have come rumors about a new council of Nicaea in 2025. Are they meeting in Nicaea? I don't know, but that'd be really interesting. <laughs> On the occasion of the seventeen, uh, the 1700th anniversary. Did I say that? That's right? not right. It's got to be like a thousand. 1,700. How do you say that? 1,700. Well, yeah, but it's the Council of Nicaea was in 300 and what? 325. 325. So, so in 2025, 1700. Oh, 2025. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. It'll be 1700th anniversary of the original formulation of the Nicene Creed. A closer look at such a possibility brings both strong promise and worrisome threats to Christian integrity. <laughs> so we need to go back and reevaluate if we still believe what we believe. Isn't it a little early to be planning something for 2025? Oh my gosh. It's like 10 know. years from now. I don't even know. It's 11 years from now. Why in the world are they doing that? It doesn't even make any sense. But it's it ridiculous. makes no sense. The no. reason. Okay, let's back up. <laughs> the, the Council of Nicaea. The reason why they came together was because of this big issue with Gnosticism and Arianism. Hmm. That was going, that, the whole Arian was completely the opposite side. Arian, Arianus was, it was completely the opposite of what uh, the Gnostics and stuff were teaching. So right. it was like, okay, is Christ fully God or was he fully man? Fully man, yeah. And so to, in a nutshell... He was fully God and fully man. That's yeah. that's kind of the the premise of the Nicene Council. Now, they said we use these twenty seven specific writings yeah. to affirm this. Right. Okay, and they listed what we now call the New Testament. Yeah. So because they did that, people like Dan Brown try to say. This is where they met together. They met together to and discarded all these Gnostic writings. Right. And picked four Gospels that made Christ God. Right. That's not what they did. In fact, those 27 books were quoted by the Antonicene Fathers, which are the people between the time of the New Testament and this council. The, there's hundreds and hundreds of writings right. by early church uh, Christians, and all of them quote from these 27 books. So no one established it as canon. It was already being used as canon. It was already being taught as scripture. Right. So all the Nicene Council did was kind of just put it in a little package with a bow on it. Affirm it. Right. That's all it was, was affirmation. So now what are we going to do? We're going to, are we going to put the, uh, <laughs> we're going to put the, the Apocrypha back in? <laughs> no, 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 no. We're going to, we're going to throw in some books like Your Best Life Now. <laughs> The Prayer of Jabez. Yeah, the Prayer of Jabez. Of course. Of course. The Purpose Driven Church. We oh, need that one in there. Wow. <laughs> yes. No, but, uh, you know what's, what we should do in the future? I think we should have like a three week run on church history. 
Okay. And start with Acts and go all the way to today. Through the Dark Ages and yeah. all the good stuff. Yeah. I think that would be pretty okay, fun. Okay, that sounds fun. Yeah. So, you know, if you have any ideas <clears throat> about topics and stuff, you ought to let Shoot us know. Shoot them to us. Yeah, yeah, let us know. So, that's pretty much all I got for the news. But awesome. I knew you'd be excited about that uh, Nicene Council. Okay. <laughs> well, let's listen to... Voicemail. Yay, voicemail. Hello, Theonauts program. Uh, I'm Theo Nuts for my Theonauts. I just really enjoy your podcast. Um, I know this was a really hot-button issue, but I'm glad you tackled it, uh, most recent podcast. Um, my name's Ron, and regarding the homosexuality issue and, and our pastor in uh, California, I am a Southern Baptist. Hoorah. And... Uh, I know this much from our talking to our pastor at our convention is that they decided it's not a national matter, it's a state matter, and so the California Baptist Convention will handle their church however they choose to. That's part of their uh, deal is they have autonomy for each state convention. Now, I do know that in Georgia that has happened before. Uh, similarly, not exactly the same issue, but or at least not the way it happened in California. But in each case, it's always been. Uh, the, some of the, the George Baptist Convention has withdrawn fellowship from the church when they were asked to uh, change their position on something because it uh, was contrary to the gospel. Now, here's my two cents on it, uh, which is just my two cents. My understanding is, if we see a brother overtaken in a fault or a sin, we who are spiritual uh, are to approach him in love and try to encourage him to let go of the sin and get back in the flaw. Because you cannot be in fellowship with sin and be in fellowship with the flock at the same time when, well, I'm not saying people are without sin. I'm not without sin. But when it's something that's very open and you refuse to turn away from sin, that's when you have even bigger issues. And I think because of this issue has been so visible when someone comes out and says, I'm this or I'm that, you know, the question isn't whether that person has tendencies, it's whether that person is leaning on Christ and trusting in his grace to deal with any sin issue, whether it be uh, lying, cheating, Things, you know, things that some people say, well, that's a lesser degree. In all these things, we are depending on the grace of God. Uh, yes, we are washed and forgiven uh, and adorned in the righteousness of Christ. But we cannot continue in something without damaging ourselves. And so that's that's honest sense. You know, I know I long-winded and ramble on, but that's what I'm all about. So I really enjoy your show, guys. And... Uh, can't wait to hear some more. Thanks. Bye-bye. Wow. Thank you, Ron. Yeah, what a great call. Um, Thanks a bunch, brother. Yes, I'm long-witted, and that's what I'm all about, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, okay. Well, um, great, great points mm-hmm. there about the topic we touched on last week, about um, the acceptance of homosexuals in some of these um, 
Southern Baptist Convention, I guess, was doing this. Yeah. Um, and good point on the autonomy. I, I forgot to mention that yeah. last week. And um, it's, uh, I think, a very biblical use of Galatians 6, 1 and 2, as you quoted there, um, about a brother being overtaken on a fault, and those who are spiritual should help lead them out of that. Um, I would like to say that we have to be a little careful in in how often we use that particular verse because I think the the verse is about loving people and it's about bearing people's burdens. Mm-hmm. And so uh, when I, you know, I think about in the King James Version there, it says overtaken in a fault. And I was thinking, what, is, what does it mean to be overtaken? And, you know, a lot of times I hear that used for people who have an erring doctrine you know, or uh, whatever. And I, I don't think that was what Paul was intending whenever he wrote it. He was thinking about um, faults that consume us, that take us over. Yeah. That, okay, um, I, I, things that come to mind would be uh, drug use or getting... Alcoholism. Ca- alcoholism. Things that, you know, in... in pornography. That, pornography. Things that you get caught up in and that even though you hate it, you... Your flesh is drawn and caught in it, yeah. right? Yeah. So you are struggling with this. And yeah. so Paul is saying he's wanting unity, right? That's Absolutely. part of what he's talking yeah. about here. And so he was saying, man, whenever you see a brother who's caught, mm. ensnared, and can't get out, go help him. And it even gives us a warning there. It says, be careful, though. Be careful that you don't get caught too. That's right. Now, that to me is part telling of what that passage is really addressing because um, you, if you, if he wants you so involved in this man's problem that you are running the risk of falling into the same thing. Yeah. And so that's close. That's tight knit. That's what he's, he's wanting us to do. Right. So I, I can see uh, using that for someone who is struggling with, say, homosexuality. But then, as you also said, there's another issue here, which is not necessarily struggling with this as a, as a sin, but embracing it. Yeah. I, I personally believe that, that anybody who has truly surrendered to Christ has, has become a follower of Christ, understands uh, Christ's love. Mm-hmm. Okay, is going to be repentant, right? And the truth is, when they're brought to that, they're going to strive towards repentance. Now, are they going to make it? That's not the question. The question is, are they striving towards repentance? Right. Right. And so, if that's the case, if they're they're striving, you need to, we need to uh, lift our brothers up in that and continually help them. You know, there's a reason why I come. Uh, and confess my sins to my brother. It's not so that I feel guilty. Mm-hmm. It's not that so that I, you know, make myself look, you know, horrible, which both of those happen. It's because I want to strive towards freedom from it. And well, it, so, it, it's like what uh, we keep bringing this up, and it's like in the ragamuffin story. Just go watch ragamuffin. Where, where he says, you know, it's freeing yeah. to release it. You know, like Brendan Manning at one point mm. says, 
You know, there's only thing I, I like better than whiskey or beer is uh, ice cream. And he was like, dude, what? what? And he was like, yeah, I'm, I'm an alcoholic. I'm struggling with that. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like you never feel f- freer than whenever you can just open, be open and transparent and say, look, I struggle with this. Yeah. And I'm leaning on God's grace for it. Yeah. And uh, I need all the help I can get. And don't, you know, and these, these are the type of people, though, that that aren't using their freedom as a cause for sin, like like Paul says in, in Romans six. Right. They're using their freedom as a cause to 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 continue walking. Right. Grace is not a license no. to sin, which is too many people. That's a misunderstanding of grace. Yeah. There's not this some weird balance. A lot of people say, "Oh, yeah, there's a balance between grace and works." There's not uh, a there's not a balance. There has to be a proper understanding of what grace is. Right. Grace leads to regeneration and a newness of of heart and you're recreated and there's all these verses that talk about us walking in newness of life and being a new creature it just keeps on coming there's all this change being transformed by the renewing of your mind all of that has to do with transformation and and like you were a caterpillar now you're a butterfly are you still you know digging holes in the dirt right no <laughs> You're flying now, right. and and so, but there's so there's a change that happens. Now I, I, I want to play devil's advocate just for a second. <laughs> I love it when you play devil's advocate. <laughs> okay, so and don't take you know don't take me wrong here. I, I'm in complete agreement with what you said, Ron, and what, what we've been talking about. But, uh, but um, I've been really thinking about this thing about how we've made homosexuality such a bigger issue issue than maybe some other sins so like um true if you're embracing the homosexual lifestyle you are not struggling with your sin you're accepting it and going maybe not even considering it a sin right right okay so what about idolatry Hmm. idolatry is the number one commandment right it's the number one broken commandment in America. Right. How many of us embrace idolatry? We're completely unrepentant. I'll give you a good completely example. Completely unrepentant of it. Do you know how many Saturdays before Oklahoma Sooner football? I do. <laughs> <laughs> Nine Saturdays left before I, I, can watch, I can watch my Oklahoma Sooners. <laughs> that's just honest, you know. I, you know that's but, but what I'm getting at is no one is saying... Shall we accept these people that embrace Oklahoma Sooner football? <laughs> no! Because <laughs> you're not struggling with that. You're not fighting it. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Or, or gluttony. Mm. How many of us in this country... Careful, you're hitting the closest one. <laughs> <laughs> but, but what I'm, I'm getting at is, is, do we really struggle with that? Mm. Do we really fight against... Our overindulgence and our the things that we know to be sin, but instead of saying, "Oh yeah, I really struggle with that," yeah, I really fight with it, we're accepting it as a lifestyle. That's right. So I only bring that up so that we be careful not to overly judge or to you know get the log out of our own eye before we get the speck out of right, somebody else. Right, right, right. And that's what that passage is all about. You know, whenever Jesus says, judge not that you be not judged, he's not laying down some rule that you can never judge somebody. He's saying, be careful how you judge people because whatever you judge is coming back to you. That's right. So if you're going to be a judgmental person or if you're going to lay down some big stern statement about this other thing, be careful 
because there's got to be something that you're dealing with too. Amen. May not be the same thing, but it may be just as big or bigger. Right. And so you have to be very careful about how hard you come down on people. Yeah. And so that's my only point with that. I'm not saying I agree with embracing this or whatever. I'm just saying that we just need to be careful before yeah. we start slapping people around about right. it. Right. And the biggest thing is, above everything else, we need to show them grace, God's love, mm-hmm. right? And we need to continually point them to the fact that Christ covers all sin. And the reality is, if they're living in that, they they need they need Christ. Right, right. So, anyways, man, that was a great voicemail. Thank you, I love Ron. that one. Man. man. So, yeah, uh, yeah, keep keep those calls and letters coming. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, okay, this is our decasode. Yeah. So because of that... I'm super excited about this all Here's what we're going to do. I've been so excited about this all I told Jeremiah, pick (laughs) 10, your top 10 favorite... Bible situation stories, whatever. I'll pick my top ten, and then we'll go through them. We'll start at number ten, and we'll talk about the stories and see why we like them and 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 everything. And well, this was a hard list to compile. So, in mm-hmm. fact, some of the things up that I put on my list, you're going to be like, "What? That's your favorite?" <laughs> <laughs> and but part of the reason why some of these are my favorite is simply because. They're so obscure or so weird or yeah. so something you just really never even knew was in the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, that's one of the things that got me into Bible study to begin with was <laughs> finding nuggets that I didn't know were there. Yeah. You know, and going back to Proverbs 25 and 2, it's the glory of God to conceal things and the honor of kings is to search out the matter. That's right. So let's start with... Number 10. And and we're a little bit skewed because I went completely Old Testament on these. Because, I mean, obviously, Jesus down on the cross is my number one Bible story. <laughs> but it's not on my list. Don't give it away. So don't, don't give it away. Don't judge me. Okay. <laughs> so. I only, now listen, I only have two that are New Testament. Okay. The rest of them are all Old Testament. So. Okay. We're close to So being. slap us with your number 10. What's your... Tenth favorite drum roll. What's your tenth favorite? The story of Ehud and Eglon. Ehud and Eglon. Yes, the story of the fat king Who? sitting on a pooper and uh, Ehud stabbing <laughs> him with his left-handed blade and the stuff coming out. <laughs> wow! And the reason that is my favorite is because it is so gory, so disgusting. <laughs> And so awesome. If we made that into a movie, I would have to be 17 in order to go watch it. <laughs> yeah. There's several Bible stories oh, like oh, that. Oh, yeah. That's this, a tamer one. You don't see the Eglon Ehud story in children's Bible no, storybooks. You, <laughs> you don't. But Such I, a good story. I, okay. Do you, well, do you want to tell more of it or do you want me to share some of it? Or Well, basically, the story goes like this. So, e- Eglon was a... 
uh, evil king, and um, God allowed him to take over uh, the Israelites for a time because this is during uh, the judges. The judges, that's right. And he was one of the first judges. Uh, Ehud was one of the first judges. Mm-hmm. So Ehud was a left-handed man. The Bible says, and that's another reason where I like go sell Pauls. I'm left-handed, <laughs> and you know I like the whole story. So. He uh, decides to take it upon himself to rid the land of this evil king. The Bible tells us the evil king was extremely fat. And so, long story short, Ehud, speaking of short, Ehud was short. Um, he he uh, strapped a, 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 sword, a, a sword to the left side of his body. Ah, uh, so no one would suspect it. Exactly, because, you know, they're thinking <clears throat> right. the right side and... He goes and he delivers the king a message, and then he sneaks back in while the king, the Bible says, is sitting in the cool of his chamber. And what we covering know, covering his feet in the yes, King James vernacular, covering his feet. <laughs> what we know, we know what that means is that he was in the bathroom in his in his chamber, right, uh, sitting on the pot, you know, uh, sitting on his throne. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so, anyways, Ehud sneaks in. And he stabs Eglon, and when he stabs Eglon, the sword goes all the way into his fat belly, and then is enveloped by his fat, like swallowed by his fat. So Ehud can't even get the sword out. Like the hilt goes in, everything goes in. And then the Bible says that the stuff came out of him, and what that refers to is... I can imagine. Exactly. Right. Uh, so, you know, it's a nice, dirty story. But uh, so he had <laughs> sneaks back out, and then his servants come and knock on the door, and they're like, You all right in there? And another servant's like, Yeah, he's probably just relieving himself. It's, you know, we're fine. Leave him alone. Yeah. Yeah, leave him alone. And then he's later on, they very go. Very smart because the guy could get out of there right. and have plenty of time to get away. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, he assassinates King. And Israel was delivered. Yay. <laughs> so. That's my And there was rejoicing. Story. Okay, my number 10 is the Witch of Endor. Mm. Okay, so if you're not familiar with That's this. That's an interesting this is story. King, this is King Saul, okay? And King Saul and David are at, you know, each other's throats. And David has fled, and uh, Saul is about to go into battle. And he's bringing his sons with him and all this. And he, God hasn't been talking to him. God, and so Samuel is dead. Samuel was his mentor. Right. Okay. So Saul's like, if only I had Samuel here to give me some advice on how to go into this battle. And so sorcery had been outlawed. And so he says, I'm going to find a necromancer that'll bring Samuel (laughs) to to life and tell me how this is going to come out. Give me some advice. So he disguises himself. um, So no one will know that he's going to a necromancer. Yeah. And he hunts down this this woman uh, referred to as the Witch of Endor. Yeah. And also like that because it has a Return of the Jedi type of... <laughs> <laughs> You're such a geek. <laughs> anyway. So, so all these Ewoks came around. No, I'm just kidding. So... <laughs> okay, so... So good. You've got, the, you got him telling this lady, I want to see Samuel. And so she's... She's probably a, a flake. She's, mm. <laughs> so she's like these women palm readers, you know, right. sitting on the side of the road. And so she starts rubbing the crystal ball and doing her whole thing. And all of a sudden, Samuel pops out. <laughs> I love to see her face. Freaks her out. Yeah. And Samuel's response is, what are you doing disturbing me? <laughs> I'm resting. <laughs> yeah. 
And uh, he says, well, I just want to know how it's going to go down tomorrow. He's like, well, you disobeyed God. How you think it's going to go down? <laughs> you and your two sons are all going to die. See you. <laughs> see you in a see bit. You, see you tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I just thought that was a oh man, that's great, a great one. What a great story. Okay, what's your number nine? Number nine, the story of Jeremiah and the dirty underwear. <laughs> <laughs> I said a Bible story, Jeremiah. <laughs> no, it's in the Bible. Not you at home. I swear. <laughs> now that Christina's <laughs> out. <laughs> oh, man. We can edit that out, right? <laughs> okay, let's hear it. So it's really the story of Jeremiah and the Dirty Underwear. So, God, I love this story because, you know, it's a lot like, uh, who was it? Was it Isaiah that God told to get naked for how many years? Ezekiel. Ezekiel, yeah. that's right. Told that's, him all the kinds of weird stuff. Yeah, <laughs> well, God, just he he uses these people as his mouthpiece, and he humiliates them. And it's so great to see, you know. Well, it's humbling. That's what... That's know, the whole point. The, that's the right. idea there. So, this humbling story has God telling Jeremiah, go buy some new underwear. Jeremiah's like, all right, sounds great. So, he goes and buys some new underwear. And he's about to put them on when God says, now go bury those underwear by the Jordan River. And Jeremiah says, what? And God says, go bury them by the Jordan River. He's like, all right. So, I don't know, like it's eight days or something past. And uh, I'd have to look it up to read it again. It's just a great story. And God goes, oh, Jeremiah, go dig up those underwear that you buried by the Jordan River and so he digs them up and you can imagine how nasty and disgusting they are and God goes put them on wow and Jeremiah's like alright so he puts on the dirty underwear and walks around town and God says to tell the people that just like these dirty underwear are so he's got to show everybody that's right he's wearing dirty underwear in front of God and everybody and uh, these are your good works. Exactly. These are your good works before me, as these dirty underwear are to Jeremiah. You are as irritating to me as wow. dirty underwear. And so I just, I love that story. I think it's so funny to me. You know, okay, this one didn't make my list, but that reminded me, you were talking about Ezekiel. Yeah. <laughs> There's one place where God tells Ezekiel, he's like, I need you to eat some human dung. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, God, that's sick. I'm not doing that. <laughs> God says, All right, you, you can eat some cow dung. <laughs> like it's any better. Like, <laughs> that's so great. Okay, my number nine. Whew. You'd never know these Bible stories are going to be so fun. <laughs> So fun. Okay, well, here's a good one. I, I told you, I've been looking forward to my, this all week long. My ninth one yeah. is Elijah and the She-Bears. Oh, yeah. Yes. Okay, so. That's a good one. <laughs> you have, this is in Second Kings, like the second chapter. You have Elijah, apparently he's bald. Apparently. And he is strutting around through, down the road, and a bunch of kids, hooligans, come out and they start mocking him for being bald. Yeah. And uh, so he calls upon two she-bears to come out of the woods, and these bears come out and eat all the kids. Right. <laughs> so it's like, what's the moral behind the story? Don't, don't, call, don't say, go up, Baldy. Go up. 
<laughs> don't make fun of bald prophets. That's right. Well, you know, okay, I, I heard some insight on this story that this is just theory, but I think it's kind of, uh, it makes a little bit more sense. Yeah. One, the word, the Hebrew word there that says, that's translated as youths, or we often think of this children, like kids, like, right. you know, elementary age, that it's probably not that. These are probably more than likely older teens, right? Uh, like or young twenty-year-old. This is you know that type of youth. Um, and what they were saying was, "Go up, baldy. Go up, bald head, or whatever." And if you think, what is what kind of what is that supposed to even mean? Go up. Why are they saying that? Well, remember that uh, that. Well, wait a minute. Is this a this is Elisha? I'm sorry, I've yeah, been saying Elijah. Elisha. This is Elisha. Okay, so they're telling this to Elisha. Well, what had just happened? Mm. Elijah had gone up, yeah, and been way. had been taken in the chariot of fire, right? And so um, and left Elisha. So it was almost like they were making fun of him for be, for being left behind yeah. or being, you know. So it was like they were not only mocking him; they were mocking God, right, as well. And they were. He was near <clears throat> a city that was like really like bad yeah i remember i don't know just I, I you don't, don't see that story either. in the children's books either <laughs> these these bears tearing you, people apart yeah all right so my number are we eight, eight. my number eight story is the story of gideon i okay. love the story of gideon another judges yeah story. i i like a lot of judges yeah, uh, and there were a lot of like uh ones that could have made the top 10 but yeah i've got one of those in my list too but. yeah Keep on trucking. So Gideon, the story happens, you know, uh, he's one of the first judges also. And so um, the Amorites, is it the Amorites? I think it's the Amorites. They take, Amorites, Midianites. It's one of them ites. Go and check it out. It's one of them ites. But anyways, uh, they take over uh, Israel and, you know, they're just being buttheads to Israel. And so... Uh, okay. Pardon my French, but that's what's happening. And uh, so anyways, um, what I love about this is, all right, so Gideon's dad was worshiping false idols. Right. And he actually had a false statue, a false idol that that he had built in in the town. And Gideon, in the middle of the night, goes out and destroys it, right? But he's so afraid of the backlash. He's a coward. Right. Right? At the beginning of the story. He's very timid. He is extremely timid. And so what does he do? He goes and he hides in the thresher's floor. In other words, like a grain silo, he's Mm -hmm. hiding in this Where they separate the... Wheat from the... Yeah. Right. And uh, so he's hiding in there. And an angel of the Lord comes to him and goes, God be with you, mighty man of valor. (laughs) <laughs> and I always thought that that was hilarious and that God was being extremely sarcastic to Gideon <laughs> right then. Because basically, what's Gideon doing? He's hiding, hiding. right? He's afraid. And, and God goes, Come on, oh, tough guy. Yeah, God be with you, mighty man of valor. <laughs> so great. So anyways, uh, but what ends up happening is Gideon leads an army of 300 men to conquer uh, a, a huge army of Amorites. Which had are, been weeded down from, he started out with like 10,000. Yeah, men. something like that. And God continues to whittle them down. And Gideon, can you imagine this timid man going, really, God? 
I had this huge army, and you want me to conquer them with 300 men? Yeah. How do you want me to do that? And it's the whole story of... Grace again. Exactly. The whole picture... <laughs> not by your power. Exactly. Not by your power, but by God's. And so the whole picture is, you know, they they have the torches and the lanterns cover... Or the they, they cover clay them with the pots clay pots, and they smash the clay pots, and yep yell really loud and the Amorites kill themselves in the you know in the middle of the night. And so I just I love that story because it is. It's a picture of God's power mm-hmm. versus man's ideals. And a picture of a coward who God uses mm-hmm. as a mighty man of valor. <laughs> so that's a great story to me. Yeah, that's awesome. <clears throat> okay, number eight for me is kinda all over the map. Uh I'm just going to call it the story of giants. <laughs> this con- cheat. That's a cheat. It's not a cheat. <laughs> There's just this so much of this talk of giants in the in the Old Testament yeah. that this really intrigued me. Yeah. And so I've gone through all kinds of studies about giants and stuff. The Nephilim. Uh, yes, and the Rephaim and right. the sons of Anak and, and yeah. all this Anakim, but they're uh, apparently. Uh, like in the the Nephilim were the offspring of angels and Man. men, mm-hmm. and it produced these giants. Right. And it says that they they were in the land in this day, talking about Noah. And they said, but they were there later too. Now it does the Bible doesn't explain how the ones after the flood right. came to be, but they were there. I mean, you've got uh, the most popular one, Goliath. Yeah, Goliath. You know, <laughs> David sl- slew this guy. And he was hanging out with the Philistines, so he was considered a Philistine. But right. <clears throat> he said he was the son of Rapha, uh, which Rapha means giant in Hebrew. But this, uh, what a lot of people don't realize is that between David and his servants, they killed yeah. four other giants. That's right. That were the brothers of Goliath. Yeah. And because one by one, they came to seek vengeance on David for killing their brother right. and one by one they got taken out and it and it describes them in their size and how big their weapons are and they got six fingers on their hands and, yeah. and, and whatever so there's they're not right there's something messed up in messed up about these well anyway whenever you get to the part where they're in the wilderness Moses and them are in the wilderness and they send the spies over into the right. canyon, they they come back and they say, "Hey, we ain't going over there. There's a bunch of giants, giants. over there. Yeah. We were like grasshoppers to them." Right. And you know, some people might say, "Well, that's a stretch because they were just saying that we were weak compared to them." But uh, as the story progresses, we start to find out, no, there were real giants in those lands. Yeah. Uh, up near uh, Mount, uh, was it Hebron? Is that? Uh, up, up there in the land of Bashan, there was just a bunch of giants. There's a whole nation huh. of giants up there. Um, and one little by little, Moses and them weed them out, which I think is really interesting because I always thought about Moses and and the children of Israel just kind of wandering around in the Sinai right. Peninsula. Yeah. <clears throat> no, they go way up north. They go. Uh, they just don't cross the Jordan, but they go huh. way up north and they deal with these giants and there's a king by the name of Og yeah. that they end up killing. And it said that his bed was, uh, of course, it gives it in cubits, but 13 foot was how big his bed was. Wow. So these are, you know, he was the last of the giants that they killed. But anyway, I just thought it was really cool 
that you got the story yeah, of, that's an amazing of story. giant people yeah. in the Old Testament. So wow, your number eight. <clears throat> oh no, wait a minute, that was your number seven. Number seven. Uh, the story of Paul at Philippi. The whole I, I just love that act story of Paul at Philippi. He starts out and he goes and he meets the woman uh, beside the river, mm-hmm. uh, and it's uh, Paul. Phoebe, is it? yeah, Phoebe, and starts the church with Phoebe, right? And then he's put in jail. He, he and Paul and Silas are put in jail, uh, and it's just the whole story of in the middle of their after they've been beaten, stripped, naked, you know, and thrown in jail. They're sitting in chains, and what are they doing? Praising God in the midst of their chains. They're just worshiping God. And God allows their chains to fall off. And uh, the Philippian jailer, you remember the story, he takes out his his uh, sword to kill himself because he knows that you know, it's his right. fault. And, uh, and they say, don't kill yourself, we're here. And so he takes them to his house. His whole household is baptized through it wow and then that next day you know uh <laughs> paul paul confronts them and says hey by the way i'm a roman citizen you idiots and <laughs> you know and they're like oh well you can go like <laughs> nope I- <laughs> yeah and i'm not i'm not going you guys are gonna stand here and face what you've done and it's just an amazing yeah to me it's an amazing story of, of god's uh a Paul, a Paul worshiping God in the midst of like the most horrendous thing that could face. That's right, right. right. And God being faithful. And <laughs> I love that story. That's so, awesome. Yeah. My numbers. We're on number seven. seven. My number seven is Balaam. <laughs> so in numbers twenty, he had a donkey. Yes, he did have a donkey. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> He was an ambassador. That's right. I knew you were going to say that. Woo. So, oh, okay. So he is this quasi-prophet. Right. Which I think is really kind of weird in and of itself. Because yeah. he's not really in the Israelite area. I mean, he's he's not part of the Israelites. Uh-uh. <clears throat> but he is a prophet. He's talking to God. Now, yeah, he knows God it's somehow. weird somehow. But anyway, yeah. uh, you've got King Balak. Right. Who wants... To okay, he's hearing all these stories about how the Israelites are taking over the place, right. and he's like, "Oh, I need, I need a man of God to curse these people." Yeah. So he goes and he gets Balaam. And he says, "Here's what I want you to do." Well, immediately he starts talking to God. God says, "No, those guys are those are good guys. Right. I mean, you're not going to curse them." And uh, so he, he, they come back again and, and finally talk Balaam into going to do this. Yeah. And God's like, "It's okay." But just do what I tell you. Right. Okay, so um, he gets on his donkey and he's leaving. And uh, the, God puts an angel in the path with a sword drawn. Right. Like, I'm going to kill you because God had got upset because of the way Balaam had decided to follow these Well, guys. yeah, not only Balaam was like after money pretty much. Yeah, because he was a weird, it was almost like he didn't mind cursing the Israelites, yeah. Except for God kept hindering that, right? <laughs> he kept saying, and he was upset with God for doing that, yeah. r- right? So, so uh, anyway, he can't see the angel, but the donkey can, and the donkey's like, "No, I'm not going." Yeah, <laughs> he's fighting him, or she's fighting him, and he's whipping the donkey. Come on, you idiot! Yeah. <laughs> well, finally, um, 
the donkey opens its mouth and speaks <laughs> and says, what are you hitting me for? Yeah. I'm trying to save your life. What have I ever done for you? you what have I ever things? done to you? Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, uh, and what's funny is he starts arguing with the donkey. Right. <laughs> he's, 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 it doesn't seem to freak him out at all. Right. He's There's just like, donkey. well, I tell you what, I'm trying to get you to go straight. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I just think that the whole story, not just the donkey thing, but the whole story is so interesting the way God uses Balaam because he gets to the point where Balak says there's the camp all I need to do is curse them and so he opens up his mouth and he starts blessing them right three times he does that <laughs> Balak's like what are you what doing, are you doing? <laughs> behold I brought you to curse these people and all you're doing is blessing them so anyway I- but I love the end of that story where Balaam doesn't go home he should have just gone home mm-hmm. but he doesn't what does he do he Tells Balak how that he can get the Israelite people oh, to right. sin against God. Right, right. So that God will curse them even if he can't do it. So Balaam is all about... He, he what they need God. is some pornography. Exactly. <laughs> so Balaam's all about making the money. And over and over, I mean, to a Jewish man back then, the word Balaam was a curse word. Right. Because every time they heard Balaam, they thought, ah, that's what he got us to do. He's such a... Man, I tell you, Balaam, I've I've preached the sermon. Balaam was a man who had a very special thing that he could talk to God, and yet he forsook it for money. Mm. He's the stupidest man in the Bible to me. One of the (laughs) stupidest men ever. I tell you. Because he had a direct link. He did. He had a direct link to God. Not many people had that. And he forsook it for some cash flow right so stupid anyways number six number six jonah the whole book of jonah oh yeah i love that's a good one yeah you know we pretty much all know that if you haven't read the book of jonah you need to read it but i just i love the ending where jonah is just he's not satisfied with the fact that god wants to give mercy Mm -hmm. to these people he he's so judgmental. It doesn't have a good ending. No, it doesn't. People don't realize that. They focus on the belly of the whale. <clears throat> right. Jonah, Jonah's an idiot too, really. Because <laughs> all he focuses on are what these people have done. And he doesn't focus right. on the fact that God Well, I think part of it too is he was focused on himself. Yeah. Because if you think about it, um, a prophet was only as good as his word. Yeah. Okay, because if huh. he said something didn't come true... No one's going to listen to you anymore. Right. You're, you're not a prophet of God. That didn't happen. Huh. Okay, what did Jonah tell Nineveh? He didn't say repent. He didn't even ask him to. He went through the streets saying, 40 days and you're getting obliterated. Right. That's all, he, that's all he told him. You're an affront to God. He's going to kill you in 40 days. Wow. And then he went up to the cliff to watch it all happen. <laughs> <laughs> and it didn't happen. Right. And so, okay, what's at stake? His reputation as a prophet. Yeah. That's what's at stake. I so, oh yeah, that's great. There, there's just a lot of things there that we can learn from. Yeah. Okay, so what was that number? That was six. Six. Okay. Oh, David and I'm going to pronounce her name uh, Michael or Michelle or something because it doesn't sound right to call her Michael. <laughs> <laughs> Good old David it's Michael. Not, it's not spelled <laughs> like Michael. So uh, homosexuality. <laughs> <laughs> Careful, David. <laughs> okay, so I'll call her Michael. All okay, right. so you got um, David and the daughter of Saul, right. Michael. She, okay, so he loves this girl, and apparently she's real hot or whatever, and, and he's 
she's caught his eye. Yeah. Saul sees this. Saul is not liking David. So he's like, I tell you what, <laughs> you bring me a hundred foreskins from those Philistines, I'll let you have her. Yeah. <laughs> In other words. <laughs> what a deal. I'm going to use this chick to kill off this dude. Yeah. Uh, so it's like, okay, th- there's no way. Yeah. It's like, there's no way he's going to be able to get the foreskins of a hundred <laughs> from these this army of people. Yeah. Well, not only does he get the hundred foreskins, he doubles that. He comes. Right. He comes back with a couple of hundred foreskins. Yeah. Bag load of them. Bam. There you go. Where's my wife? <laughs> <laughs> so he has to marry. So he has to let David marry his daughter. Right. And it's like his enemy. Right. And so then you have this whole thing where, well, he's still trying to kill David. So David finally is. He's got to leave. And Michael says, you got to get out of the house. Dad's coming to kill you. And so she lets, she sneaks him out the window. Right. And then she puts a dummy in the bed. Right. And of course, soldiers burst in. Where's David at? She says, oh, he's sick. You know, (laughs) he's sick in bed. (laughs) So whenever they find out it's a dummy, then she's like, oh, he said he'd kill me if I told. And so David had a chance to escape them. And uh, so, you know, years later, he ends up, uh, Saul ends up giving her to another man. And years later, when David finally becomes king, or he's about to, to become king, he he makes this deal with Abner. He's like, you know, I'll, I'll help you take the throne and all this, but you know what? I want that girl back. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he, Abner sends his convoy to go get her right. from this guy. Yeah. And, of course, it says the guy just wept and cried yeah. and went after his crying. No. Abner had to say, get out of here. <laughs> go back. But anyway, he got the girl back. And then right. it's so funny how the story ends up, you know, is when David's king and he uh, – he gets the ark of the ark of the covenant and brings yeah. it into the city, and he's so happy about it. He's dancing around in right. the streets, and it says he uncovered himself. And a lot of people think that meant that meant he was naked, naked. but that's a that's I don't think it's talking about physical being naked. It, it meant that as a king, he stripped down his royalty and right. was down in the streets hanging out with the lowlifes, commoners. Right, yeah. that bothered. Michael and she and she was like, "What are you doing? You're right. above them. What are you doing?" And she didn't understand what it meant to worship. Yeah. She didn't understand what God meant to David, and so that really bothered him. And so he was like, "Well, fine. You'll never have any kids by me." Yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of how the story ends. Yeah. But anyway, I just think that it's it's very interesting. Yeah. How that how his relationship with this woman. Of course, he had plenty of other wives. <laughs> But his relationship with this woman was just kind of unique, I thought. Right. So. All right, my number five, with a bullet, Job. Job, okay. We can, Job is on my list, too. Is it? So we can go ahead and talk about that. I love, uh, I love the fact that this is uh, the first and oldest story in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, and what it portrays. Not chronologically. Not but, chronologically, but like a... The oldest writing found. Exactly, the oldest writing found. What I love is this was written during a time when there was one basic view about God. If you were doing what you were supposed to do, he was going to bless you. And if you were doing what you weren't supposed to do, he was going to curse you. And this... Funny how some people still there. Yeah, <laughs> pretty amazing. And this, this being, to me... Again, chronological the oldest written book, the earliest written book, 
totally shatters that whole mm-hmm. thought. That God causes the rain to fall on the just and unjust alike. And because he's God, it's okay. Yeah. And everyone wants to focus on the fact that Jonah said... Job. Or Job. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that Job, yeah. you know, was saying, though he slay me, I will not... Okay, yeah. so everyone wants to focus on his early reaction to they forget stuff. the old but one. they forget or that that he finally got really frustrated and was like all i gotta do is is I, if i just had an audience with god i could straighten all this out right. he started getting really prideful about it and and god finally said who are you to ask me anything yeah. god finally showed up in the whirlwind and yeah. said you know where were you whenever i formed the earth where right. were you when i did this where were you when i did that how did you how do i do this can you Tell hold me. the pleiades in your hand yeah can you yeah <laughs> can you can you break the bands of orion i mean he's yeah. he's, he's like really coming down on on right. job and job's like okay i get the point he's like no you don't i'm not through <laughs> he goes on for another chapter or two let me finish this yeah we you know i am god and you are not right and that's the reality but the truth is because he's God, everything's going to come out the right way. Mm-hmm. And what happens in the end? Everything comes out the right way. Yeah. What happens in the end of the Bible? Well, I, and, and it's cool also in that Job never knew why. Right. We knew why because we're the readers. We knew what happened between Satan and God, but Job never got that answer. Right. That's and such a good book. So anyway. Okay, so actually, that's my number one. I stole your that's, thunder. That's my favorite. No, that's the, but that's my favorite um, Old Testament Bible story. It's a good story. So, what number was was that? Five. Five. Wow, we were running late. Are we? <laughs> okay, my number five, Nebuchadnezzar, and going crazy. <laughs> that's okay. a great story. Okay, so in, in the book of Daniel, we have Nebuchadnezzar. He's the king, right? Yeah. And uh, he's big on having these dreams and Daniel interpreting them. And and he has this dream about a tree and all this stuff. And Daniel says, here's the deal. The tree is you. You're going to get cut down and you're going to go crazy. Yeah. And he's like, okay, whatever. A year later, (laughs) he's coming in. He's bragging about all this great stuff he's done. And Daniel says, time. Okay. So he loses his mind. Like in (laughs) mid-sentence. He loses his mind mind and goes outside and starts eating grass. Right. And his fingernails grow really long. And uh, I've heard actually people say this is lycanthropy, you know, where you think you're an animal or whatever. It's where the legends of werewolves came from. So anyway, he's out there like clawing in the dirt and all this sort of thing. And when he finally came to his senses, he was like, praise God. Yeah. (laughs) And so, you know, you think this Babylonian king is going to, he was saved. I mean, he was like, on God's side there at the end. So that's a cool one. Number four. Number four, David and Goliath. Awesome. I love that story, and we pretty much covered it, but I just love how God uses a boy to slaughter a giant Mm -hmm. in the face of everybody else who's cowering down. Once again, not by your own strength. Exactly. And I love how David's just sure that God's going to deliver. And we were talking about the giants. You know, you ever notice that David picked five stones out of the river that day? Yeah. And why is that, David? <laughs> I don't think it was because he was worried he would miss. <laughs> I think he was prepared for all his all five of those giants. That's right. To. That's good. Okay, so my number four is is Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Hmm. Okay, so they're all he's That's it, a great one. it's a 
challenged and they're all gonna gonna find out who's God's the real God you know yeah and the thing I just like about it so much is that these prophets are working really hard to try and call fire from heaven down on this altar <laughs> and uh, and like Elijah's making fun of him yeah he's like Oh, go ahead. Keep hollering. Maybe he's on a journey. Maybe he can't hear you. Maybe he's in the bathroom. <laughs> like good old Eglon. Yeah, that's it. Maybe he's, he's relieving himself yeah. and he's just too busy for you. And then he's like, okay, we're going to up the stakes. Pour some water all over it. <laughs> they just douse the water and, of course, you know, sure, fire just comes down and consumes everything. Yeah. And so it's like this huge victory. And, and uh, But anyway, I, I really like that story. It's a great so one. number three, number three, uh, the Passover slash the whole story of Moses. I love, uh, yeah. I love the story of Moses. I love the Passover <laughs> and what it means, uh, the picture, symbology of there, Christ. Yeah, and then you know the whole question of Pharaoh hardened heart and all that. I just I love studying that story. I think it's special. Yeah, so, it's really cool. Yeah, that's my number three. Okay, my number three is basically the story of Joseph. Oh yeah. So all the from the time I just know, finished teaching that. Not the multicolored youth. coat thing, but the from the time he's a slave to the time he becomes ruler. I just love how so his perseverance. Twenty two years or something. Yeah, through all of the trials he went through, being yeah. in prison all that time, and you never read of him doing the job thing. You know right. what's going on, God. You don't you don't hear that out of him. Uh-huh. He's just and when it's all said and done, he tells his brothers, you know, you guys meant for that to be evil. But God meant it to be good. That's true. I just love that whole thing. Yeah. So that's my number three. Number two, right? Yep. David and Bathsheba. Ah. I love that David one. has made the list a lot. Yeah. Well, he's just an amazing central character in the Bible. But uh, I, I love the idea that God can restore a man who commits sexual adultery. Mm-hmm. Murder. Murder. <laughs> And lies to cover pulls it up. the Tim Lambesis. Yeah, and what is what? What does God do? Restores him. Now he has to deal with consequences, right? But he fully <clears throat> restores David, mm. and he still calls David a man after his own heart. Yeah, it's amazing. I love that. Psalm fifty-one is special to me. Because oh yeah, that yeah, because it's a good repentance repentance song. passage. Number two for me is Deborah. So this is wow. That's that's yes. out of the that's out of dark. It's, a, it, it's out of uh, judges also, and mm-hmm. I got to tell you the reason why is um, I love once again it's not of your own strength story, yeah. and so once again Israel's under oppression. They're trying to find a way out. They come to this prophetess Deborah, and they say, "How do we how do we do this?" And she tells um, Barak. She says, you need to go fight them. You need to go get the, the children of Israel together and go fight these men. Now, well, they're from Syria, and they, were, uh, they had all these iron chariots. So they were like tanks at that time. Yeah. So it was, they were feared. And no one can defeat the army with the iron chariots. Right. So uh, he says, I'll go, but you got to go with me. <laughs> She's yeah. like, fine, I'll do that. So she tells him to go to Mount Tabor. So they go up here. I don't know if you've ever seen like the Valley of Jezreel. It is in, uh, it's, it's also the... Valley of Armageddon. Armageddon. Okay, right. so there's a mountain on the on one side of it, uh, Mount Tabor. She takes him up to the top of this mountain, and you have to read two different chapters to piece all this story together. But what happens is she keeps telling everybody, "Wait, don't do anything yet." And the and the iron chariots are coming, and they're in the valley, and they start up the mountain, and it starts to rain. Yeah. And the rain comes down into the face of the army, so that. 
They have a disadvantage. Right. And she says, go now. And so they go down and they attack while it's raining and while the people can't see up. And they just slaughter these people because what does the Iron Chariots do in the mud of the valley? They get stuck. They get stuck. They can't do anything. So they end up defeating them. And, of course, the captain escapes. It ends up hiding in a tent of what he thought was a a friend. Friend, yeah, that's right. And the woman in the tent, she's like, I ain't having none of this. So she waits till he goes to sleep and sticks a tent stake in his head. That's right. <laughs> so, yeah. So that's how they ended up defeating them. Okay, number one. Well, uh, <clears throat> I think it's a fitting one to end on, and I, a lot of people may be thinking I'm coughing out the story of Jesus. <laughs> I just I, I, here's here's my point in this: the entire Bible hinges. On the story of Christ, start to from start to from end. Start to end, it is what every story is about. Mm-hmm. Is Jesus? It tells, and I'm walking through uh, the Bible in my youth group right now. I'm walking through every Wednesday. Uh, we just finished up Joseph. We're going to start with Moses, but everything is focused on the cross, and that is why I, I believe the Bible so amazing it's it's all in harmony it yeah. all fits so perfectly together to yeah. to draw this picture of christ right it's amazing yeah so anyway well that's that, our top 10 so it ran a little long again how bad but, did we go over well we're over a while so. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway guys visit us on our um on our social networks yeah theonautical at on twitter and Facebook.com slash Theonauts. And go on to iTunes. Go on to Stitcher. Give us some reviews. Give us some five-star reviews. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Call us at uh, 972-885-7270. Leave us some voicemail like Ron did. Yeah. Love to hear from you guys. Give us your favorite Bible story. We'd love to hear it. All right. Thanks, Jeremiah. Hey, thanks, David. All right. God bless you. This has been the Theonauts Podcast. Call us with your questions or comments at 972-885-7270. That's 972-885-7270. We'd love to hear from you.